Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 30 of Future Projection, a Baseball America podcast. I am Carlos Palazzo, as always, joined by Ben Badler. Ben, we have baseball going um, really at every level here. It feels like we're inundated with baseball. How are you doing, man? And how have you enjoyed the first few weeks of the minor league and major league season? That's I think awesome, the, man. The last time we podcast was, was before opening day, right? Yeah. Yeah. You were at, uh, yeah, you were at NHSI. I was sick and <laughs> could not, uh, record a podcast that week, but, uh, feeling, feeling great right now. I should it's, have been like Freddie Freeman and just forced you to play through it. Um, my, I, I didn't, I could have got you on there. I did not have my, my Jordan flu game in me for, uh, for that, for that week, but it's fun, man. It's fun watching Khalil Watson hit bombs. And like you said, it's every level of the minor leagues or uh, yeah, every level of the minor leagues, college, high school, seeing these rookies at the big league level. It's funny too, because it's not even, you know, Bobby Wood Jr. And Julio Rodriguez have had, you know, some highlights here and there but it's like the Stephen Kwan show right now yeah, in the crazy. American league. I mean, you know, Stephen Kwan, who was signed by a friend of the program, Connor Glassy, former baseball American. Uh, he was the signing scout for the fifth rounder from Cleveland. Um, and he was pretty impressive. I don't think he swung and missed until he faced Nick Lodolo in Lodolo's debut. So that was kind of fun. Um, if you count a foul tip as a swing and miss, I know that was on the, that was a big debate on, on baseball Twitter. What, what are your thoughts on that? I've, I've it, pretty much solidified mine after looking into the details of what a foul tip actually is, but do you have any hot right. takes on that? Your tank. So you're a foul tip is when the it's a foul ball or you foul tip the pitch, but it goes right mm -hmm. into the catcher's. Yeah. Mid, so right? I, I didn't yeah. realize before this, Josh actually told me in the slack uh, and the BA slack when this was being discussed, but I did not realize a foul tip was like a specific outcome like that. I thought it was just a way to describe a foul ball that just kind of went straight back, whether it went into the mid or whether it went kind of back to the backstop. But yeah, by definition, a foul tip is a ball that makes contact with the barrel, um, but basically uh, goes straight back and is caught. If it's not caught by the catcher, then technically it's not a foul tip. That would just be a foul ball. So yeah, that's that's a swing and miss to me. I mean, I, I get it. Yeah, the batter made a slight amount of contact, mm -hmm. but if it's if it's a it's a swinging strike. Yeah, the separator right? for me is like if you have two strikes and that's the outcome, you struck out. So you struck out swinging. So for me, for all of those, whether it's in an, a no strike count or a two strike count, I've always logged those as swing strikes or whiffs. Just when I'm like at amateur games in tracking uh, like whiffs for pitchers or whiffs for hitters, I, I've always counted those um, as swing and miss. Because I feel like if you make such little contact that you're still striking out, like, I, I don't think you deserve credit for making contact. Like, I, I guess I can understand like people are trying to 
talk about Quan's ability to put the bat on the ball, and he did. But if if that's the only amount of contact, like it, I don't think it counts. <laughs> and I'm glad that like officially for for all the pitch tracking and, and the analytics, those do count as whiffs. Um, yeah, that's that's a swing and miss to me. But he mm-hmm. he just swings this. He has that magic wand mm-hmm. that that he swings. He rarely ever swings and misses. I mean, you just go back to his his time at Oregon State and you just look at the numbers mm-hmm. that he posted there uh, or in, you know, in in the Cape Cod League too. It, the, the walk to strikeout ratio is pretty ridiculous. It was twice as many walks as strikeouts for two years in a row, mm-hmm. uh, almost, I mean, almost three times as many in, in his junior year. The thing is he's about five foot, eight probably right mm-hmm. i think he's listed at five foot nine you know we don't uh shy away from shorter hitters <laughs> yeah on, we, we on have him listed at five nine 175 that's that's certainly up your alley ben you probably would take him in the second round yeah i mean well i mean that well the, the thing with him is he's just never had any power he hit mm-hmm. three home runs his entire college career at oregon state it was he didn't hit for any power with wood when he was in the Cape uh, or, or in his summer ball stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's a pretty legitimate concern where you do have hitters who come up through college or the minor leagues who have great plate discipline and then they get to, you know, they walk a lot, they're very patient, they get to double A and all of a sudden mm, it doesn't really work <laughs> if you don't have anything else to back it up. But, yeah. um, but he he just again has that magic wand type swing where he makes mm-hmm. so much contact, and then he has you know it's not like it's just just contact skills and plate discipline. He you know he's athletic, he runs well too, um, so he's a good defender out there. Um, I don't I don't think power is ever going to be a big mm-hmm. part of his game. I think it's always going to be probably below average power. I don't think it's going to be somebody who um you know like an Ozzy Albies or something who just gets to is a littler guy who gets into more power but uh I think what the skills he has right now is good enough to be a you know a three win type guy maybe even a mm. chance for that's a really good player more in yeah and in, in some years so um yeah the contact skills are are very legitimate the, the plate discipline is is excellent we've seen that all all throughout the minor leagues so i don't i don't think what we're seeing i mean i'm not saying he's a 500 hitter but like i don't think i don't <laughs> think what we're seeing is is all that fluky from him i think he's i mean i think he's a legitimate rookie of the year candidate which is you know <laughs> we talked about how stacked the the al rookie class is but i i think he's i think he's going to be there by the end of the year too. yeah Quan, the dark horse pick uh if you had any if you had any bets on him you're feeling pretty good but i can't imagine with the the american league field anyone was really thinking about Quan for that that award i know no one in the office prior to the season had tabbed him for it maybe that was um the obvious pick by us i'm curious to see how much or how long this streak continues and, and what sort of hitter he's going to settle in to be. Because you mentioned the power. Um, obviously, he's only swung and missed. At, I believe it's still one pitch right now. His swinging strike rate at the moment is 0.7%, which that seems unsustainable. But I'm really curious to see like what that settles in as we get a larger sample size and 
and what the slash line is looking like. And yeah, just, just like you said, you, you think he can be a, a three win type player. Um, I feel like every year there are some players who, who really go off early on the season and that kind of fades away. Uh, like you said, Quan's not going to be hitting 500 for the entire year. So just seeing what the baseline for his performance is going to be will, will be fascinating for me. Um, but he's certainly been a fun story. Again, credit credit to Connor Glassy for that pick. I bet he's more excited than maybe anyone but Steven and his family for that. So that's fun. Uh, any other rookies who have been impressive for you over the first few weeks yeah, of the season? Matt Brash. Yeah. His stuff is just so ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> talk about another good giraffe pick, too. Um, and not by the Mariners. Obviously, the Mariners made an excellent trade to to get him but this was a fourth, fourth round, round pick from yep. the Padres the Padres picked him 113th overall in 2019 so. yeah out of out of Niagara um mm-hmm. at the time he was touching 96 I don't know if he threw a fastball under 96 or I think he's like sitting around 96 at least at right now point. his average velocity is 96.3 so yeah <laughs> yeah and this i mean he was a 90 95 touch a six guy in college and his fastball has has blown up and that's i mean we have this rookie sitting at 96 and that's not even his best pitch because that breaking ball I, I i would call it a slider is yeah. it's just i mean that's a true wipeout 70 pitch i can see why some people will put an 80 on it even Mm -hmm. it's it just looks like one of those like carrie wood wiffle ball type breaking balls that he he used to throw and just is it's it's just filthy i mean he i i think he is going to i think he's gonna start i think he's gonna continue to be a starter i know there have been some questions on that with him um earlier in his career but I 100, I mean, I want to say hundred percent, nothing's a hundred percent, but I, mm-hmm. I would certainly keep him as a starter. I think he, he looks everything like a frontline starter to me, that power fastball and hellacious breaking ball mm-hmm. combination is just going to absolutely pile up strikeouts for him. Yeah. His, his debut was against the White Sox. He threw 5.1 innings, struck out six, walked just one on 85 pitches. And yeah, it was really, really cool seeing all the video of, of that slider on Twitter. I haven't, I didn't sit down to see the whole game. I don't know if you did as well, but just seeing the highlights and the clips of it and, and seeing the stuff actually like playing in a big league uh, capacity after just reading about him a lot. He, Cause he was one of the guys I feel like, we talked about a lot in the off season as we were trying to figure out where these guys were ranking in the top 100, settling on where they're going to rank within individual teams. And just looking at that fastball and slider 70, 70 grades that we had on him was really exciting. And to actually just see that now and, and be looking at all of the, the performances that these guys who we've been talking about for the entire off season for a long time um, previously, it's just, it's just really exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him as well. So with the control, you said you feel pretty confident that he can start. Were you there this off season or is it something that he's done in the one start this year? That's maybe made you a little bit more optimistic. Where, where have you been with his control? And I guess, what do you expect to see from that moving forward? 
I think I mean, we just saw it get better over the course of last season too. I mean, you look at his numbers when he was in high A compared to double A, he started throwing more, more strikes there. The walk rate cut down. I mean, I don't think it's going to be pinpoint command, but I think you can have average control. And if you have average control, two seventies, yeah, with a plus plus fastball and a seven borderline eight breaking ball, I can miss the bats the way he can I, I think that's 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 you know durability you know we'll see with with all these guys it's tough everybody missing the like you said he's a 2019 draft pick there was no 2020 season 2021 they're you know managing his, his workload so we haven't really seen him throw more than 100 innings in a season so we'll have to be determined on durability but if, if he has that I think everything else is is there for him to be a a frontline starter. I wonder too. I mean, if you know that that 2020 season, so he gets drafted as a fourth round pick in 2019, and then the next year, in you know at the what was it August, the trade deadline, some, somewhere around there, he gets he's he basically has no or like you know four or five pro innings, pro outings in mm-hmm. you know rookie ball OA. So the Padres don't really have a ton of experience with him in their own organization and they trade him to the Mariners for Taylor Williams, Taylor Williams. Yeah. right like that's <laughs> if if there's no pandemic does that trade end up going down I, I don't know it's it's a tough one <laughs> I think it's, yeah. uh, it's gonna be it's, <laughs> I, the, there are gonna be so many of these similar scenarios with all of these players who were drafted around this time or were or who were getting their first few seasons in pro ball around the 2020 season. I mean, there's going to be so much like what about ism and hindsight questioning, like, like what if we had a full season, we just, we really have no way of knowing, but it is kind of crazy how that can just impact so many different players and so many different teams and all these transactions that are made. Like it is kind of wild because you would imagine if he, he had this stuff like this, uh, and he had a full season to show it. Maybe we'd have looked at him a little bit differently at this time. Yeah, I mean, going into going into that season, it's not like we had. I don't think we even had him ranked in a top thirty. I mean, obviously now we have him as a top. Uh, his top looks like his entry into our prospect rankings. He, he was ranked the two hundred eighty eighth prospect in the twenty nineteen draft, um, and his first time showing up in a ranking was mid-season of 2021 with the Mariners when he was the number nine prospect, at least on our yeah, website, last year. unless there's something missing. So, Yeah, now we have him. I think he's – or at least I think he entered the year at 45 on our, on our top 100 because, yeah, last year was when mm-hmm. the reports on his stuff really started cranking up. Like we were saying, it's, it's not like he had this fastball – in college he had a good slider in college it wasn't this good otherwise i think he'd we'd be talking about uh nl rookie of the year candidate um (laughs) matt brash right now (laughs) another pitcher who made his debut who we've we've been on he's been on a radar for a lot longer than brash is hunter green um he debuted against the braves um several days ago basically a week ago from now five innings Seven strikeouts, two walks. He allowed three earned runs. Um, and we talk about Matt Brash's fastball, but Hunter Green is averaging a 99.7 mile per hour fastball. So he, he's basically averaging 100 on his fastball, which 
just seems insane to say. Um, but what did you think about Green's debut? I know a lot of talk. Um, I've already heard from from JJ. He's really excited about just the the progress in the slider, just his ability to throw that pitch for strikes. Um, it, it seems like it's just going to be key for him moving forward, keeping batters off the fastball because we have seen while, while the fastball is is very electric velocity wise, it, it doesn't really, or it previously hasn't gotten the whiffs maybe you would expect for a fastball that has legitimate 80 grade velocity. Um, so I guess that slider is going to be a really big key for him moving forward. But any thoughts on Hunter Green, the long awaited debut for one of the better high school pitching prospects we've seen in a long time. Yeah, I think the the slider, at least in flashes, was was plus at times. I think that's really encouraging. And mm-hmm. like you said, it's 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 such a it's such an easy delivery he has, mm-hmm. especially for a guy throwing with that kind of velocity, like sitting at a hundred miles an hour. It looks like he's playing catch, mm-hmm. but he's he's also always been pretty homer prone. Yeah, we still saw that again in his debut, and and I think part they of the reason two home runs in that game. Yeah, part of the reason before that is the just the way the fastball works. It's, I mean, still, you know, it, it's still a hundred mile an hour fastball. It's it's still a good pitch. <laughs> yeah. But if you know, if if you're making a mistake with it, and if you don't have another weapon, which you know, Green I think does have now in in that slider, but big league hitters can still, t- you know, change their their timing and and be ready to. Mm-hmm to hit that pitch. So we did still see a couple home runs. So, um, you know, I, I still, I like him, um, probably not quite as high maybe as other people were maybe expecting a, you know, a top of the rotation starter right now, just because of the, the hype behind him and the, the raw velocity numbers that we're seeing. So, um, I like him, but I, I also would not be surprised to see some, you know, some early bumps in the road, his, uh, his rookie year either. It's not like, it's not like he went out and was dominant in triple A last year either. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I've always been a little bit more skeptical of green just because the results really haven't ever looked like what you would, you would think they should look like. I mean, based on the first game, there was a lot of hard contact against him. I'm curious if he's ever going to develop like a chase pitch um, that, that he can rely on consistently. And you talk about his, his really easy delivery and, and for green and just in general, I'm curious what you think about this, but I almost feel like his delivery is, is almost too clean and too easy because he, it doesn't seem like he hides the ball very well. And again, we're talking about a guy who's throwing hundred miles per hour. So really picking nits here, but it feels like it's, it's such a clean delivery and such an easy delivery that hitters can just see the ball. Well, and I'm curious what you think about pitchers. Cause I, I feel like I have seen a few of these on the amateur side um, on the draft side, just pitchers who have such clean, simple, easy deliveries that you're almost like, well, the deception here is just very limited because it is so clean and easy. So we talk about deliveries like that as a positive in general, is there a case where that maybe is even a negative for you? I think, I think you can have a easy fluid delivery and also have, deception mm-hmm. to or and or hide the ball well uh, sometimes i think it's just about the way the fastball moves or the fastball operates i mean if, if you just have a flatter fastball that just doesn't have as much life it's easier to 
square up for big league hitters if you don't have, you know, some of the times, uh, sometimes is fastball command too. If you're making mm-hmm. mistakes with your location, even if you have a great fastball, uh, mm-hmm. these big league hitters are going to make you pay. Or if you don't have another weapon to keep hitters off balance, if, if you don't have a, you know, quality changeup or, or a breaking ball consistently that hitters have to respect, then that could lead to more damage on your fastball. Even if, if you have a, hmm. a good fastball, cause hitters are, are going to be ready for it. So um, there's, there's just a bunch of different factors that I think can come into play beyond just the, the raw quality of the, the fastball or, or the, the way a, a pitcher's delivery works. I mean, I'd certainly rather have a pitcher with a, you know, an easy fluid delivery with, with good arm action um, mm-hmm. that should help a, a pitcher, you know, stay healthy and repeat and be able to throw more strikes and have them try to, you know, add like a, a head whack or something yeah. <laughs> in, his, in his delivery and try to introduce that. Yep. Uh, another picture I wanted to mention, and this isn't for, for a positive reason, but because I chose Nick Lodolo as breakout pitcher of the year, I was really excited for his debut. He also debuted, um, oh, excuse me, he debuted against the Indians. I saw a few innings of this outing, and it was not that great for Mr. Lodolo. It was four innings, seven hits, five earned runs, and really the, the control was a lot shakier um, than, than I would have expected. He walked three batters and hit two. Um, so not a good debut for him, not a great start for my breakout pitcher of the year choice. And I really think I have a few really terrible breakout pitcher of the year picks in the past. Nick Pavetta was one that I used, um, in recent years and and he was really bad the year I specifically chose him as a breakout pitcher. So maybe I should just stop choosing for this award. seems like I'm cursing these guys. I didn't think his stuff was bad. Um, I didn't either. He had, I mean, he, there were some sliders there that I thought were really good. And he was sitting 94 from the left side. So um, I still, I'm still very optimistic about him long-term, but obviously got, uh, got hit around and <laughs> not, not the sharpest command in his, uh, his first outing. No. Uh, any other rookies that you want to mention? I know Seiya Suzuki is probably the, the best performing rookie that we haven't touched on yet. He's hitting, 368, 488, 95, three home runs through just six games. So he has been quite electric to start. Any thoughts on him? Yeah, he looks like the real deal, man. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously very different than all these other young 20s rookies were mm-hmm. talking about. It's more what you see is is what you get um, with him. But shoot, <laughs> what I see is pretty good. Um, I got to think he's the favorite right now in the – NL for for rookie of the year. I mean, he looks like he's like a pretty solid, you know, four win type player right now. Um, can hit, controls the strike zone. There's power. Um, I mean, shoot, what's what's not to like about what we've seen so far from him? No, he's he's been pretty fantastic. Uh, another guy that I wanted to mention is Spencer Strider. His stuff looked really electric. He's appeared in two games in relief for the Braves, um, sitting with like a 98, 99 mile per hour fastball. Um, he's pitched 5.1 innings already, eight strikeouts, three walks. Curious to see what the control is going to look like for him moving forward. Um, because I, I do think he's a guy who maybe, and, and maybe not, maybe he just gets plugged into a bullpen role and, and succeeds with that. And he just, 
Uh, I mean, the pitch mix and the control maybe are a better fit for that role in general, but I think he's still young enough to where you could try and see if he can start depending on what the Braves need. Um, but man, his, his stuff looked really electric in his debut outing. I think he's going to be a guy who gets a lot of strikeouts and just another really exciting arm in that Braves bullpen and a guy who, who really made such a quick rise to the big leagues. I mean, a 2020 pick in the fifth round, an under-the-radar guy out of college dealt with injury. I think it was a really good job by the Braves to identify him in general, uh, identify the stuff coming back on the field, and also just the off-the-field makeup uh, and his work ethic to kind of get the most out of his stuff. And he went from low A to the majors in one year last year and then is kind of starting in the big league bullpen right now and has been pretty electric. Um, so he's another one of the rookies um, that, that has stood out to me so far. Yeah. Do you think you think they stick with him in a bullpen role long term? I mean, I know he's had, you know, TJ in, in the past. Mm -hmm. um, do, do you see him going back to starting or, or do you see just the bullpen as the right fit for him long term? I think probably the bullpen is the best the best fit for him long term. I mean, most most scouts outside of the organization who I talk to. Uh, about Strider when I was just getting together the top 30 and doing reporting for that. I think most of them thought that he fit better in the bullpen just because of his pitch mix, because of the control that he had. They just thought it was a better fit. Let him just go out and throw hard, use that breaking ball and not really have to go too deep um, into his arsenal, the changeup. I mean, maybe that's a pitch where, where he could develop it more if he had time to focus on it. But I think the stuff is good enough to where you don't really need to have him do that if you don't have any holes in the rotation that you're trying to fill it seems like the Braves have enough arms um, that they're confident in that can start now maybe that changes in the future if they deal with some injuries um, or some guys who underperform uh, maybe maybe he's a guy who you could kind of experiment in that role um, but I think probably the the bullpen it just feels like a better fit for him yeah it does seem like that's what they've been trending to internally with him just to mm -hmm. keep him in that role too. I know a lot of the people inside the system are optimistic about him starting. And maybe that's the case with, with every team who has a pitcher who is like a fringe starter with reliever stuff and, and doesn't really have the track record of starting. Maybe, maybe you're always more optimistic if you're the team who's evaluating him and you can see the bright spots um, in small samples that you've personally seen in the past, or you just want to be uh, optimistic about your own guys, but it does seem like, just relief seems like a good fit for, for what he throws and, and what he's able to do. Um, and if he settles into that role and succeeds with it, I guess you can make the case that you don't really want to mess with it. Um, just kind of let him go out there and be successful because we have seen uh, reliever value tick up over the last few years. So I don't think it would be a, it would certainly be a win regardless of what role he's in given kind of where he was drafted um, and, and just the success story for, for him specifically coming back from injury. Uh, in college I know he's a pretty highly rated high school guy as well so it's not like he came out of nowhere but still think it was a, a pretty good success story for the brave scouting and, and player development yeah no doubt um I think those were the only guys that I wanted to touch on do you do you want to talk about any of the maybe more higher profile guys who are struggling I know Bobby Wood Jr. has had a few interesting highlights um, but the overall line isn't too crazy right now. Julio Rodriguez, Spencer Torkelson, kind of the same deal. It looks like they are still kind of 
um, trying to figure out timing and, and get adjusted to big league hitting. And again, it's, it's only a few games sample. So I don't think we need to read too much into any of that, but any, any thoughts on any of those guys? I know for me, I was just thrilled to see a couple of the early Bobby Wood junior highlights as maybe the highest guy in him in our office since, since the draft year, um, that play he made at third base, uh, kind of like falling down and making a throw to home plate was, was pretty fun to see. Yeah. It feels like cheating using Bobby Witt jr. As a third <laughs> baseman. It's I hate uh, that he's playing third base to be honest. I guess I get it, but man, I would love to see him playing shortstop. He's so good. Yeah. I got to think long-term he ends up migrating back to shortstop. <laughs> because I would really I, hope so. It feels like it feels, I think I said this on Twitter, but it feels like having a Ferrari, but not taking it out of like third or fourth gear by having Bobby Wood Jr. at third base. Yeah, but uh, no, um, yeah, I mean, his struggles, Julio Rodriguez, I'm, I'm, I'm out on Julio now. He's a... It sounds like he's been uh, <laughs> kind of screwed by the officiating at this point. I saw a tweet today that said Julio Rodriguez has been called out on five strikes, uh, strike three on five strikes that are actually not strikes on the, the robot zone. Um, so it sounds like everyone's out to get Julio, man. He's uh yeah I have no no long term concerns about uh, Julio Rodriguez but again this is as you know as talented as he is he also has uh fewer than fifty games above double A in his career or fewer fewer game fifty game uh excuse me fewer than fifty games above high A in his career because mm-hmm. he was in double A last year for you know, about half the season, maybe even a little bit less than that. No AAA experience. And it would not surprise me again to see him turn things around and even be the AL rookie of the year. But, um, you know, sometimes there are adjustment periods. I mean, we see Jared Kelnick last year. Um, I think back to like Dustin Pedroia when he was a rookie. And how about Mike Trout? Yeah, yeah, Mike Trout's first first taste of the big leagues. Obviously, he was what like <laughs> nineteen or twenty years old mm-hmm. uh, at the time. So we've been, you know, a little bit spoiled with the the Sotos and Tatis Juniors of the world recently. Vladis and Acuna's, yeah, those guys have all spoiled us. Yeah, although Vladdy, when he came up, I mean, he was just solid. He you was. Know, I mean, that's terrible. Yeah, he was. He was just an average. Yeah, he was at twenty. Yeah, he was. <laughs> Yeah, good at 20 years old, but people, I mean, I remember people say, oh, he's overrated. Baseball America overrated him. You put an 80 hit tool on him, Ben. How dare you? Out of uh, when he was still in A ball, too, we had that on him. People were talking about how you see the home run. He had a three homer game against the Yankees, and there was one home run where it was like a 95, 96 mile per hour fastball running in on his hands. Do you see the screenshot of just that that contact for him? Oh, I I see all of his home runs. (laughs) (laughs) That was tremendous, man. I just don't not even a not even a bad pitch. Who who does he remind you of? Does he remind you of anyone like historically? Because my family is huge on Miguel Cabrera. And I've got like my brothers texting me and they're like, he's like the next Miguel Cabrera. And I'm like, honestly, I don't hate that one. I feel like they're a little different body type wise at the same age. Um, and I don't know what sort of like power Miguel was hitting for when he initially came up. I imagine it was, it was quite good, but do you have any comps on him? You can't use the he was, 
when he was coming up in the minors, he was, I, I thought he was like Manny Ramirez. I mean, he's mm, bigger, which is like taller, more physical than Manny. And, and he's not quite as physical. I mean, basically nobody is as Frank Thomas, but that combination of the, the both those guys have of hitting ability, tremendous bat speed and power, great swings, contact, strike zone discipline, just complete everything as a hitter mm-hmm. um, that Thomas and, and Manny had. So obviously two, you know, well, one, one Hall of Famer, one guy who's, <laughs> uh, you could argue, should be in. But um, yeah, yeah. I, would, I would have him in on my ballot. But yeah, I mean, either way, two of the two of the elite hitters of mm-hmm. all time. So um, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's why we why we why we put the eighty on them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's let's talk about some minor league players as well. The minor league season is is off to a fun start. I've actually seen a minor league game this year. Um, we'll talk about the NHSI a little bit later. But uh, on the last day when I was supposed to be heading back, I had some car issues, so I just kind of went with Josh to a game uh, in Winston-Salem, saw them take on Hickory, saw Oscar Cola. So I actually have a minor league game under my belt this year, which is fun. Um, but let's talk about some players who, who got interesting assignments. We have a story on the website uh, that JJ and Josh put together uh, about the youngest players by league on opening day uh, 2022. So that will give you kind of a sense of who the most aggressive assignments are. And, and they have... Um, a top 10 for basically every league from the majors down to uh, the Florida State League and, and low A ball. Are there any players who jumped out to you, Ben, or who are the most interesting to you of this group? There are a lot of really good players here, as you would probably expect. Um, yeah, I'll just throw it out to you. Any players that, that you are either excited by or you're like, whoa, this was a really aggressive assignment. I'm curious to see how this goes or, or maybe that you don't like because it's so aggressive. Um, or just general thoughts on these guys. Yeah, a bunch of guys who stood out just for being pretty aggressive assignments, which I think in a lot of cases is a reflection of the team's confidence or belief in mm-hmm. that player as a prospect. Um, I mean, seeing Yuri Perez get assigned to Double A as yeah. it, it's his age nineteen season. In fact, today's actually his nineteenth birthday. So. Happy birthday, Yuri Perez, but uh, he made his first start in double A as mm-hmm. an 18-year-old. Um, he he's all he's obviously been on an extremely fast track. This was a 2019 signing out of the Dominican Republic. Debut in 2021 last year in low A. He gets the high A by the end of the year. He's he was also five the youngest. He was the youngest player on any roster on opening day in 2021, I believe. In in a uh, in his league, or I think in in any like full season league, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably. I mean, he was <laughs> he was uh, he was eighteen. Yeah, I think year, it, so I think it was more than sense. just his league. Um, but yeah, keep going. But yeah, it's it's just a super polished pitcher with really good stuff projection for more I mean, we've talked about how unusual it is to find a you know six seven pitcher six eight whatever he is now mm-hmm. 
uh, with the kind of body control that he has to be able to repeat and sync everything up and, and throw a lot of strikes and then it's power stuff too. But I would have thought they'd probably have sent him back to high A to start mm-hmm. the season. I mean, he's 19 years old. He'd be one of the youngest, maybe even the youngest. I don't know the chart right in front of me, but maybe the youngest pitcher still in, in, in that league. So for them to send him to double A already, I think is really aggressive, but not unjustified. Maybe some of that too is just that their, you know, their high A affiliate is in Beloit, Wisconsin. So and their and their double A team is in Pensacola. So maybe some of the weather mm. factor plays into into that too, where you'd you'd rather have your your number one prospects pitching in a, a little bit better climate that time of year, but he, he uh, still would have been the youngest in any high league, I believe just looking at the chart right now. Yeah. I mean, he's not too different in age from Dylan Lesko, the top pitcher out of high school <laughs> this year. So to see him already in, in double a is, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, pretty remarkable. He's more than a year younger than the number two player in the Southern league. Who's Jose Rodriguez, which is just crazy. Yeah, and then I see... But he's got an ERA over six, so he's a bust. That's... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think seeing him in double A, seeing, you know, Jack Leiter obviously has so much... You know, he, he's older, he's 22 or 21, something like that. Um, but for his first first assignment out of Vanderbilt, I'm not... I guess I'm not surprised by it, just given how polished he was, given that we wrote yeah. in the prospect handbook that there was a good chance you might see him opening up in double a, but it, I mean, it's still, it's, it's, it's still interesting. I think just to see him getting yeah. pushed the way he's, he's getting pushed. That reminds right me now. of the Austin Martin uh, assignment for his pro debut. And I think mm-hmm. it makes sense. I mean, we had every year, we, we kind of try and talk through the, the pitchers who could move or, or really the players in each draft who could move to the majors the quickest. And, in every single one of those conversations last year, Jack Leiter was was either at the top or, or one of the first names that would get mentioned in those conversations. I just think stuff-wise, command-wise, just how he's been around the game his entire life, everything that he's probably soaked up from his father and just knowing what to expect in pro ball and what you need to do to succeed as a professional. Um, so just on the field and off the field with Jack, I think it makes a ton of sense to move him aggress- move him aggressively um, and see how he does. Um, yeah. Max Meyer was another guy straight mm-hmm. to double a right out of college. Meyer, it's, it feels like Meyer is a guy we've just heard a lot about early on. The stuff seems really good. Uh, I saw some videos of the change up that pitch looked pretty impressive early on. Um, yeah. Josh saw him there. He said he looked really good in the the video. He had to yeah. <laughs> also looked really good. So he's, he's been fun. Um, Another one that I like is Corbin Carroll. And he is a guy who is number eight, I believe, in the Texas League. Um, he headlines our Baseball America prospect, prospect report today. If you have not been keeping up with those, the Bapper is back. Um, basically, just give you boxes and performances from all of our top 30 prospects for every organization every day um, with some notes and some information on some of the top performers each day. And it feels like Corbin Carroll has just had a multi-hit game every game this season after looking through the box scores for him. 
Um, in double A, he's hitting 375, 500, 625. Got a pair of home runs, uh, three stolen bases already, um, and almost as many walks as strikeouts. So a guy like him who dealt with injury a year ago probably would have been talked about a lot higher than where we even had him, and that was still quite high. He entered the year as our number 20 overall prospect. Um, just him and Alec Thomas at the top of that D-back system is, is fantastic to me, and I think Alec also ranks pretty well on this list among AAA hitters or AAA players. Yeah, in the Pacific Coast League, Alec Thomas is second behind only Miguel Perez uh, with the Mariners. So a couple interesting, exciting, toolsy, and young for their level outfitters in the D-back system. Yeah, it seems like health is really the only thing that's been holding back Carroll so far. He just seems mm-hmm. like such a well-rounded, polished yeah. player especially as a as a hitter just a really simple fluid compact swing mm-hmm. really good eye for strike zone a lot of contact we're already seeing a little bit of uh, sneaky power coming from him another mm-hmm. guy who's not not that big um but i, I think the combination of uh, contact frequency and, and ability to swing at good pitches should mm-hmm help his power numbers and I'm, I'm i'm curious to see what the power looks like this year not just coming off injury but we really haven't seen him play since or seen him play much since 2019 right i mean yeah, he had seven games just seven games last year no season in 2020 then it was high a in 2019 high a and some rookie ball uh, are actually mostly rookie ball and a few games of high a uh, and yeah. he's been quite good in all of these levels but it, you're right it, it has been we, we just don't have a single full season of him in pro ball. Yeah. I thought maybe we would see him back in, in Hillsboro, back in, in high mm-hmm. A to start the year, but I, I guess he's been there. I mean, he hasn't been there long cause he just hasn't been healthy mm-hmm. long, but it, but it has been multiple seasons he's, he's spent there. So uh, yeah. I probably just, I, I, I kind of like that move. I'm sure it's been frustrating for him to deal with the injuries, dealing with the 2020 season and like, Doing Hillsborough in 2019, then having the 2020 season, uh, really crushing at Hillsborough early in 2021 before the shoulder came. Then, I mean, having him start there again in 2022, it would basically be like four years where you haven't progressed might feel bad. And I feel like he's just the sort of polished player who you you probably can be really aggressive with pushing because he's another guy. I mean, probably the best plate discipline of any high school hitter that I've ever seen. Um, since I've been doing this and I know off the field, he, he just got tons of praise for just makeup and intelligence, baseball IQ, work ethic, all of that. Like, I think he's another guy who you probably can, can get, a, get, get away with pushing aggressively. Um, and hopefully he stays healthy this year. Cause he is one of, one of the more interesting players uh, and the more exciting players on our top 100 for me this year. Um, yeah, we already have him top 20. So I wonder, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We, we're basically already assuming that he's going to come out and <laughs> we're basically right taking away. all of his not... production right now, as if they were like full seasons each year. Like it seems like we feel pretty confident that the player he's shown so far is, is the player he's going to be. Yeah. Especially to be number one. I mean, in that system with, mm-hmm. like you said, Thomas, Jordan Lawler, 
too looks looks really good. So. And he's a small guy, but like looking at the grades we have, they're they're really loud across the board. We've got sixty hit, fifty five power, double plus speed, sixty defense, and really the only tool on his card that's that's not even average is the arm. We've got a fringe average arm for him right now. So uh, that that is quite loud for a center fielder with those tools. I mean, the arm we've talked about it before. I think it's the least important of all the ones that we just mentioned. So two pluses, a double plus and above average is, is quite loud. I think maybe a little toolsier than I even expected. Like uh, all of those tools make sense to me, but just looking at them, it's like, wow, quite good. The guy I'm a little more surprised to see is in double a is or Elvis Martinez mm -hmm. with the blue Jays because I, he had a good spring training. I, I get that. Um, and I like Orelvis Martinez. Obviously, he's he's in our top 100, and he's you know been a pretty high profile and talented prospect mm -hmm. since he signed out of the DR when uh, he was 16 in, in 2018. Um, but he was only in he's only in Vancouver in High A for about the last month of the season, and it's not like he was that good there. <laughs> um, I mean, like it, it wasn't bad. He he. I hit two fourteen, two eighty two, four ninety one. So if you wanted to say it was bad, I think that would be fair. But you don't want to be too. Yeah, no. But he. I mean, he has he has really loose, whippy uh, bat speed. It's mm -hmm. it's 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 really explosive through the zone. Um, you saw like last year, he just went through this home run binge. I think it was like 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 12 home runs in 10 games or like 12 games or 10 and 10 games, something like that. It was mm -hmm. it, like, he literally hit a home run. I think almost every single <laughs> night. Yeah, so he finished with 19 and just 71 games of Dunedin. It's yeah, it, it's, it's, it's there, there's, it, there is good feel for hitting there. He's not raw as a hitter, but in terms of the pitch recognition or, or just getting a little bit pull happy, um, recognizing spin. He's, he's not a raw hitter. He, he does have feel for hitting, but it's, it just seems like every time he moves up a level, the, the speed of the game is a little bit faster for him. And he, he gets into some of those chase habits. Um, so I, I thought he would be back in high A to start the year, but the blue Jays obviously saw enough to, uh, bump him up to double A as uh, a 20 year old. So um, I'm excited, obviously, about uh, Orelvis Martinez. I, I think he's a really good prospect if he can just tighten up some of that, those chase habits he has. Again, he's not not really a free swinger, but it's it's just about tightening it up. So I thought he'd be back in high A to start the year. So I, I am a little bit surprised to see him getting bumped pretty aggressively to double A already. Yeah, that's a good one. I've got another free swinger that I like, um, and that's Emmanuel Rodriguez. He is uh, number nine in terms of youngest player in the Florida State League, um, and, and not necessarily just for the assignment here, but his the early returns of him so far this year is really impressive. I mean, he's a guy who is super exciting in the middle of the Twins' top 30 with, with really impressive power, but the strikeouts were a concern with him. In 2021, he had a 36.6% strikeout rate. 
those numbers are down quite a bit this year. It's 13.8% uh, after just 29 plate appearances. I think he basically needs to double that, that plate appearance total before strikeout rate really stabilizes. But I think that was a really exciting start for me because, I mean, a really young guy, athletic, power. Like, if he can stay in the zone more, hit for more contact, that'd be encouraging. And I know Matt had a tweet uh, where he was in uh, one of the way too early minor league top 10 leaderboards for WRC plus among 19 and under hitters. Uh, that's a group that included Khalil Watson, Jordan Lawler, Brady house, Marcella Meyer. Um, and, and seeing his name show up there with those players was encouraging for me. Cause he was a guy who just when talking with, with twins people and with scouts who had seen him um, was really exciting, but I was, I was kind of concerned. Okay. What is the approach? Is he going to be a guy who can make an adjustment, make some more contact, or is he always going to be limited by kind of being this free swinger who really can't rein in those strikeouts. So really good sign for him early on, obviously, again, like with all these players that we're talking about, it's still very early, but I do think strikeout rate is probably one of the quickest things that stabilizes. So I'm, uh, I'm feeling pretty excited about that one. Yeah. The guy, I mean, I'm talking about good early starts too. Ezekiel Tovar with the Rockies. Um, another guy with a, a surprising, I mean, maybe before the spring, I would have said surprising assignment to double a as a 20 year old. Um, I mean, I remember when he signed out of Venezuela, just like a real slender lacked strength shortstop, but real high baseball IQ, just kind of smart fundamental ABC player. The, the Rocky signed a lot of those players who, um, you know, might just be lacking strength, at the time and, and might not have the loudest uh, raw tools, not like the big, big raw power guy, but um, you know, have, have instincts to play the game. Their, their feel for the game is, is pretty advanced for their age. And you hope that once they layer on some strength that the, the tools start to pop, they start to drive the ball with a little bit more impact. Sometimes they, you know, start running faster too. It's kind of tricky to project speed at, uh, at that age or ultra project speed, uh, going up, um, arm strength can increase too. Once, once you pack some more strength on and get into a throwing pro program with the, with a pro club, but, um, man, the, the reviews on him have been really, really good. I know Kyle, um, he was, I think he was one of the guys that Kyle uh, highlighted from the, the scouts he talked to in, in spring. Cause he went to, you know, he, he played well in, in low a last year uh, when he went to high a kind of struggled a little bit, uh, wasn't there too long. So I was a little bit surprised to see him start the year in double a, but uh, man, he just seems like the definition of an arrow mm -hmm. up player right now. Yeah. He's third in the Eastern league in terms of youngest player in that league. He's already got four doubles, a home run, hitting 400, as many walks as strikeouts. Good start for him. Uh, I don't know if any of these guys, where they grade out in terms of age in these leagues, but I, I wanted to touch on the high school shortstops. And if there are other players that you want to get to before we talk about those players, Ben, feel free. But the high school shortstops from the 2021 class, it seems like each and every one of them have gotten off to really good starts. Um, I'm, Brady I'm House shocked. And 
I'm shocked you want to talk about high school shortstops, yeah, Carlos. Yeah, it's typically not a position or demographic that I really like. I try to avoid them <laughs> at all costs. So Brady House and Khalil Watson, they both um, rank top 10 in each of their leagues in terms of youngest players. I think Lawler and Meyer, neither of those do, um, which makes sense. Uh, just, just knowing how we talked about their age and their draft year, but all of these guys are off to fantastic starts hitting for power, hitting for average. Jordan Lawler has a couple multi-hit games. Um, his swing looks fantastic. And I do feel like Lawler maybe um, didn't get as much hype as some of these other guys a year ago, just because of the injury that he dealt with not playing as much as, as Meyer house Watson in 2021. Um, but he has come out of the gates extremely strong He's hitting 500 right now after five games. I mean, all these guys have an OPS over. Um, you see what I did there, Ben? OPS. Oh, you said it correctly. <laughs> you didn't even notice. I did it for you, and you didn't even notice. But all. Well, them, I don't I notice. I don't over. notice when. I don't notice when people say words how they're correctly. supposed to be obviously oh, gotcha. pronounced. Gotcha. Well, so. they all have 1,100 ops or better at this point, um, and I think both Jordan and Khalil for their career, including the 2021 seasons, both of those guys are over 1100 total. And again, like it's 12, over 1200 for Khalil and yeah, 1200 for, for Jordan as well, but it's literally a seven game sample for Lawler and 15 games for Khalil. So it's kind of crazy how small these samples really are, but I just think this, this 2021 class is looking really good now and hopefully continues to look, good moving forward but there are a lot of players who, who i'm excited about who've just started strong in this group i mean do you do you feel any differently yeah. about how you'd line them up personally i think my favorite of the group is still marcelo meyer um and i think jordan Waller is not far behind him that i mean the only change that i might make is just thinking Man, like I, we're, we're very aggressive on Khalil Watson. I think unanimously, like, on like compared, compared like, to the rest of the industry, or or just by putting he went what in the draft sixteenth, right or fourteenth? Yeah. I forget what, what the exact pick was offhand, but I'll I mean, we immediately up, said yeah, he went this is fourteenth to the Marlins, I believe. Yeah, is the number. We we immediately said this is the steal of the first round. This is a player who you know, we were hearing could go in the top five overall picks and not necessarily be a 16 to the Marlins is the, yeah, the spot. he would not have been like a money saver pick. If you took him with a top five pick either, I think he would have fit fine there on just on his own mm -hmm. talent to see him fall out of the top 10 picks. I thought, I mean, crazy. For the, yeah. For the Marlins to get him there, I thought just was, tremendous value for for them and i think you obviously with the benefit of some more hindsight now looks even better but we already have him i mean we, we had him as the number 60 prospect on our top 100 coming into the year I, i'm not saying we should go crazy over six games or anything but i when we do another update in in may i think he's like i'm not saying i don't necessarily think we're going to push lawler or meyer up more just because they're already so high on our top 100 uh but i i think 
Khalil Watson because a guy who could move up, and I would say we've already been pretty aggressive with him by putting the 16th overall pick in the draft at number yeah. 60 on our top that one, Yeah, that one just seems like a function of just teams in the draft like caring more about money than just taking the, the top player. Like there were a lot of underslot deals that went in front of him. Um, it really seems like he slid more because of financials than like teams questioning the talent. Like everyone that I talked to after was like, yeah, like he didn't slide because no one thinks he's good. We had him as a consensus, like top eight talent. I think it, there was a group of like top five. Um, really the players were Henry Davis, Marcella Meyer, Jordan Lawler, Jack Leiter, Kamar Rocker, Brady House, Khalil Watson, Jackson Job. Like that felt like the clear kind of top eight group. And and any of the players just looking back in the draft right now who went above them, I believe those were all like haircuts. Maybe Benny Montgomery wasn't with $5 million to the Rockies, but Frank Mazzucato going seventh to the Royals. He signed for 3.5. Um, Colton Kowser was a haircut at five. He signed for 4.9. Um, Sam Bachman to the Angels at nine. He signed for 3.8. Um, so a lot of these guys, it's like haircut deals in front. And it just seems like more and more teams are just willing to do that. Whereas, I mean, if it's me, I, I would rather just take the best player on the board. Cause I think up until really the 11th pick, like, yeah, the 11th pick Brady house goes, Kamar Rocker goes right in front of him. And then you have Harry Ford, 12, Andrew Painter, Will Bednar, South Relic, all going before Khalil Watson. And like all of those picks make sense in that range, but with Khalil on the board, who we we saw as like I believe a top seven, top eight talent in this draft, I just don't, I don't, I don't know how this happens every year. I mean, I understand it, but I don't. I, it's hard for me to like rationalize it and be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So I'm just glad he's doing well. Would you would you take him over House right now? They're honestly a push for me because, I mean, yeah. they, they performed so well. We had them side by side in the draft. Brady's is such a freak athlete, like really an outlier in terms of like athleticism testing. I think his power is more impressive. Khalil has maybe like a, a, a twitchier swing, maybe like side to side. He's more of that like natural middle infield look, but even him, he has like a a thicker body type who I, I wonder if he's going to stick at that position or how well he's going to play defensively. I, I almost think that Brady is more, or at least at the time, maybe it's changed now. Um, I felt like Brady was more refined defensively. He just didn't look like the typical high school shortstop because he's so large. Um, maybe more swing and miss with Brady than with Khalil. But again, I would have to look at the numbers that they're so close to me. I guess it's really, do you prefer the left-handed hitting shortstop who, and, and they're both athletic freaks. I'm talking about Brady being an outlier athletic wise, but I mean, Khalil is, was one of the best athletes in the class too. So I would probably go back and forth depending on the day. Uh, we have them literally right beside each other on the top 100, which, which I think is smart. Um, and it feels like they'll both probably keep moving up with each other. I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard for me to not really like Brady's track record on the showcase circuit and in travel ball. Uh, Khalil Khalil's is not quite as extensive, but at the same time, their their draft year summers. So entering their senior year of high school, Khalil was maybe the best outside of Lawler, maybe one of the most impressive hitters. Whereas Brady struggled a little bit and didn't maybe live up to the expectations that he entered the year with, but again, really bounced back in the spring. So 
I'm kind of talking myself in circles here. I really don't know who I would take. I mean, for you, it's easy. You'd probably just take the short guy. Um, for me, it's a little tougher. <laughs> well, well, then here's one for you. I mean, speaking of shorter high school left-handed hitters who rake and have power, would you take is this you putting Watson? Termar Johnson into the conversation? Yeah, this is me <laughs> automatically bringing Termar Johnson into every yeah. conversation that we have. It's funny that you did this because I actually was uh, texting with a scout who who brought up the same the same one recently. He was like, "All right, who would you just kind of like a thought exercise? Who would you take, Termar or Khalil Watson?" And for me, I kind of snapped beside Termar. Um. But it was closer than I expected, and that made me just think about what I'm valuing there. Because I think you could you could make the case that Khalil has better tools across the board outside of hitting with maybe a push on the power. I think for me, just the hit tool that Termar has shown, I have such confidence in him hitting that I would probably take him. But if you wanted to argue that like Khalil had better upside with similar tools or better across the board, like, I don't think that's crazy at all. Yeah. I, Where are I you think at? I, I just, I love both of them. I mean, I don't think you're surprised to, <laughs> to hear that. I, I think, yeah, they both have excellent bat speed, feel for hitting really good swings. Um, power sense for the strike zone I'd, I'd probably just give termar a little bit of an edge on on probably everything um including on everything speed. in terms of being a hitter yeah just yeah all the all the categories i i just listed like i think it's a little bit more explosive bat speed a mm-hmm. little bit better contact like a little bit better feel for hit. like i love all of the like i think Khalil Watson could be, you know, a plus hitter with, with plus power, I think, or, or maybe even better in, in some of those categories too. But I think Tarmar, I've said it before as a, you know, there's some scenario where he ends up, you know, seven hit seven power. I mean, the, just the raw power that he has right now that he just generates from that bat speed from, you know, a kid who's, you know, probably about five foot eight is <laughs> pretty ridiculous i know people are going to knock him for being five foot eight but who who cares at this point who cares like look at all the players that we're talking about at the the minor league level who are pushing the upper minors who are short like (laughs) it seems like not only produce when you're short people forget about that pretty quickly at this point but not only that like we talked about steven kwan like the lack of power with steven kwan is you know or at least was a legitimate concern with tamar johnson yeah, it still he, is just. He, but yeah, with with Termar, I mean, you're seeing, I mean, plus raw right now. I mean, he he has some of the best raw power of anybody in <laughs> in the country. I mean, he was hitting balls to the back of the trap at the PG National Showcase. His hands. I think you have video is, of him like turning on 94, 95, and hitting an absolute monster home run to the pull side. Isn't it? Yeah, in the game, it's it's absurd. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. It's so, and I think, yeah, I mean, speed, I, I would give, you know, Watson the edge on, on speed. I mean, maybe even two tools better for that one. Yeah. Termar is, is not really a, or two grades, a runner say. who sticks at shortstop. I think there's 
I, I think Tamar is cleaner at shortstop than Watson is. I, I like Tamar's hands in the field better than better than Watson's, like the way his hands and his I think feet with, work together. I think with like with those two being in pro systems who are working on their defense regularly, you'd probably feel more comfortable about Khalil playing shortstop in the long run just because of how he's more limited range-wise and I think arm-wise as well. Like I think Khalil, once he gets once he gets more instruction and when he's focused on just getting those reps every day, I feel like he's going to be a, a much different defender in two years than he was as a high school player. Because of the questions on Termar's range long term. Yeah, I just feel like Termar to- is much more polished and has, has gotten the most out of his tool set at a younger age. I mean, he's focused on baseball a lot longer than Khalil has. He just seems more refined with the tools that he has, whereas I think Khalil still has a lot of projection remaining on the defensive side. Like he has all the tools. He's got the lateral range. He's got a better arm. And I think when he's focused, I mean, he was a multi-sport guy. I think when he's focused on baseball every day, you're going to see a lot more gains defensively than maybe you will with Tamar. That's just me kind of thinking it through out loud though. I mean, it could be wrong. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I mean, Tamar's a, just a huge baseball rat since a mm-hmm. young age, super high baseball IQ. I, I think I, mean, I brought up the name before too, but I mean, Wander Franco had a lot of the same qualities and a lot of people, you know, people who loved Wander Franco, people who thought he was the number one international prospect in in his class in 2017, who loved his bat and everything he did, uh, he, you know, comes from a baseball family to nephew of Eric Ibar, um, older brothers played professional baseball, grew up in this, you know, big baseball family, super smart player from a really young age. Uh, but the question on him too is, you know, body type range is he really a shortstop uh maybe he goes to second base or third base kind of in that maybe jose ramirez type mold yeah. and i mean do we man, think he, wander is a good shortstop right now like for major league a, you think he's he, a good i think he probably is a guy who still moves eventually he made a really good play the other night just diving up the middle to make a a really impressive play and what do you think he's a good shortstop or not like he He's a shortstop. I mean, you can't, you can't playing, argue that one. <laughs> he, he is playing shortstop at the major league level. So yep. I, I think there are some similar qualities there that Franco had with Termar where, um, you know, we could see more, more improvements Now maybe, yeah. Like, you know, body type again, some, some similarities in, in the body type too. You, you don't know which direction it's, it's going to go if he, but if Termar can do what Franco's done, I'm I'm not ruling him off of shortstop yet. Now I think if he goes to, you know, if he ends up looking more like you know Jose Ramirez or something, I think he can turn into that type of player too and put him at second or third, and he can still be an impact bat at either of those positions potentially. So um, I guess my my longer answer, longer windered answer is I, I would still take Tamar over. Khalil Watson for as much as I love Khalil and, and think yeah. he's still moving up. Yeah. I think we're on the same page there. I think I, I would, I'd still take tomorrow. Just the hit tools, the hit tools, a separator for me and, and the decider. Um, do you think, do you think tomorrow could end up falling in the draft though? The way yes. Khalil did. I don't think he, I mean, I'm never going to predict that he could fall to 16. That just seems like right now stopped. talking yeah, about yeah. it, that just seems crazy, but knowing that it happens and it happened with Khalil, 
Like, I think we have Tamar now also in a higher no, spot than Khalil's yeah. ever been. If you're looking at like college pitching, too, like there's no like college mm-hmm. pitching that's gonna go ahead of them like Bachman or yeah. Kamar. I just think that yeah. I I think that there are going to be some teams who are afraid of the profile. Still, we keep getting that like he's been tougher to see this spring. Um, when when some higher ups have gone in to try to see him, he for whatever reason has not had a, a spring that people are really excited about. I don't think that's anything to do with his performance. I think it's being pitched around some games not happening. Uh, on the schedule that, that we're kind of expected to. Um, so I do think some teams are going to be afraid of that profile. I don't know the specific ones up top who, who that is. Um, but when you look at guys like Drew Jones and Elijah Green, who have the more typical um, tool sets and more exciting upsides, body types, projection, and then you look at the top of the draft for hitters, like, like, I really think that the people in the BA office, myself, you, JJ, like, I think we personally like Termar with a much higher degree of confidence and we're higher on his upside than I think the industry is right now. Like, I, I think they really like him, but I think all three of us would probably have Termar one or two. And I think the industry probably is is trending a little bit in the opposite direction. That's just the the sense that I get talking with people week after week. Um and I think that the the college hitting class up top is just really good too. Last year with all the high school shortstops, there were fewer college bats that that looked really good. I mean, Kevin Prada, you could make the case that Kevin Prada is better than Henry Davis, who went 1-1. I think you could make that case pretty easily if you wanted to. Um, a much better high school track record of hitting, um, hitting for more power. I've talked with people who like Prada's defense better than Henry Davis. I'm sure that is not a consensus opinion considering how polarizing that's been, but that's not even talking about Brooks Lee, who just has stupid numbers. He's a college say. shortstop. Another guy who probably is not going to stay there, but his numbers are stupid. Jace Young, that sort of power and average and OBP from a college infielder. We, we didn't have that last year. Um, Jacob Berry has been really good. And we've seen guys with that that profile go high. Like he's, none of these guys are elite defensive profile players, but their track records as hitters are exceptional in my mind. I'm really high on this group of hitters, and so I think when you combine all of that with the other two high school hitters that that Tamar is going to be competing with, and Drew Jones and Elijah Green, who maybe just look better when you've got your GM coming in and asking, "Who are we taking?" One is an athletic freak like Elijah Green who has some of the best raw power in the class and runs like he does and has the size that he does. You're like, Oh, we're going to take Termar Johnson over Elijah green. I could see a lot of higher end guys being like, wait, what? And, and just being a little bit skeptical. Um, I've just heard that more and more. So it wouldn't surprise me if he fell a little bit, it still would be shocking to me if he fell outside of like the top 10, but we we've seen it happen before. So never say never. There definitely is some factor of career risk involved in decision making when you're signing players like i remember talking to an an international director and he was like yeah he's like you know i was i was younger and i I wanted to you know i was thinking about signing pablo sandoval and i I just didn't do it (laughs) because you know i was kind of newer on the job and i thought if i Mm -hmm. sign this guy all the guys in player development were going to think i was out of my mind so I'm a guy who, who looks like this so um yeah I, it definitely takes some I mean tomorrow is so good I, I don't know I just don't see him 
that way there's, there's, there's so many things to like about him, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly, it takes maybe some <laughs> confidence to, to take a player mm-hmm. who's, you know, maybe five foot eight that high, you know, in, in the draft, especially coming out of high school, but man, I, I just, I love him, but uh, you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned Brooks Lee too. He, he does, I mean, 27 walks, nine strikeouts, hitting 400 with power <laughs> at Cal Poly. I mean, yeah. And it's does... always been that. And like, if, if you don't like Brooks Lee, cause you don't like the body or the medical history or the competition level, like Jace Young, the numbers are the same. Like he's always walking where he struck out. He hits for power. I mean, a left-handed hitting infielder, Brooks Lee's a switch hitter, but I mean, there's just a lot of guys you like Kevin Prada, like pull up his numbers. It's insane what he's done this year. The power has come on. He's a catcher. Like there, there's a lot of hitters to really like, and, and just going through a staff draft that we're working on kind of right now, as we're recording this podcast, just offline going through it. It's like, it's very tough for me to, if you're in that three to six spot drafting this year, I feel like you're in a great position to get a really good player because it's hard for me to separate these guys feel like for the industry, it's, it's kind of hard to separate them and line them up. So whoever is available to you, you have to feel pretty good. And we haven't even talked about Dylan Lesko, who, I mean, if, he, if you're on the top 10 or top five, I mean, it might be surprising for Dylan Lesko to fall outside of the top five, like in a vacuum, we talk about all these other players, you could see it happening, but Dylan Lesko is very clearly the best pitching prospect in this class. And if you want a pitcher up high, this is a guy you have to take. Otherwise, there's just not another pitcher for you. And he, he just feels like a pitcher that was created in a lab. Like if you were creating the perfect pitching prospect, it's Dylan Lesko. I mean, I saw him at NHSI and he was fantastic. We can talk about NHSI stuff and him if we want, but it, it, I just really like this group at the top, really the top eight or so, maybe seven, eight picks. I feel like you're, you're going to be pretty happy with who you take if you, if you just take talent. Some of those college bats too, like Brooks Lee or, or Jace Young, they seem kind of Orioles-ish type <laughs> type of guys yeah too, do you think or just, just i mean college, you can't you advanced, can't look at what these guys bats, have done track record and then look at who the auras have taken and not make that connection i feel like they really like the college producers they like the security of, of those players and it'll be interesting too if drew jones continues to be like the consensus top guy in the class which right now it feels like he is if that remains the case up until draft day I mean, the last day, the last time we had a consensus number one pick and the Orioles were picking the number one spot, they took that player. It was Adley Rutschman. I mean, maybe a guy like Adley just lines up with, with what they want to take more than a player like Drew Jones, who is more risky because he's a high school player. You have to project more than you did with Adley. I don't know, but it's not like this group in the past hasn't taken upside high school hitters like they have, not with Baltimore, but the same group who's making the decisions, they've done that in the past. So it's, it's always very fascinating and maybe because baseball has the, the slot system and makes it more interesting um, just on a surface level, I'll never feel comfortable. I, I don't think mocking who the Orioles are going to take because they're just not afraid to pass on a, a better talent to, to underslot a guy and, and package more players later in the draft. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. The thing is too, and I look just looking at the, draft order this year you've got the Orioles at one at two and three I think we're talking about teams that would not shy away from drafting a a shorter hitter that high I mean we just Mm -hmm. talked about the D-backs with Corbin Carroll Mm -hmm. right 
who made him their first round pick uh, a few years ago. Yep. Um, I don't think they're going to, the people who are there now, I don't, it, he, it doesn't seem like the type of player they would shy away from um, because of size. And then the Rangers Absolutely. too, I think have, I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I thought we'd heard some buzz on Khalil Watson potentially going to mm-hmm. uh, Texas or at least them being strongly on I think him. that's right. I would have to check back to make sure. But Last year, but they've also, just in, in recent years, I think shifted their philosophy to, you know, where you would see them before having a whole bunch of really the toolsy high school upside team. Yeah, it was swing and miss with Joey Gallo and uh, Lewis Brinson and, you know, more like Bubba Thompson, mm-hmm. those kind of guys. Um, now you're seeing them drafting, you know, Josh like, Young and Justin Foskey and Jack Leiter. Yeah. Evan Carter, or even internationally, uh, some of the players they are, they're signing there. Luis Sanjol Acuna is not, uh, Aaron Zavala. Not, yeah. So I, I think if there is a fit for, you know, I, you know, I'm not doing a mock draft, but it does seem like there there would be some teams where size would not be as much of a factor compared to some some other clubs that are mm-hmm. uh, picking at the top of the draft this year. Yeah, and it, the the college hitters makes things interesting too because it seems like every year, like that's the demographic that teams want to be picking at at the very top. Because if you can get the elite college hitters that fit on talent in that top five range, with while also minimizing your risk, it just seems like a win win for all the decision makers. You can feel comfortable about the pick because you don't have a long um, development timeline for these players. You don't have to make massive projections and where their tools and skills are going to be going while also feeling good about just the upside potential. And I think there is a good collection of those hitters at the top of this class. Now, again, if you're looking for pitching and you're scared of the high school right-handed demographic, then maybe you're in trouble. But again, most teams seems like they want to get the elite bats at the top. And I, I, I just think it's a really good collection of players there. So yeah, you uh, you mentioned Dylan Lesko though. You saw him recently. I saw the video of him at NHSI. Yep. That looked ridiculous. Yeah, he, he was fantastic. I mean, it was four innings. Um, third inning, he he lost the command a little bit, but I mean, it was dominant. Three pitches, basically sitting ninety five for four innings. He showed the changeup, which is the best high school changeup that I've seen easily like 78, 82, it's like 15 miles per hour separation from his fastball on average with a ton of tumbling depth and drop. Like, I mean, he makes hitters swing through this pitch and it's bouncing before it gets to the plate. That That's how much like drop and, and separation there is with the changeup. And, it, and it's, he's probably the first pitcher in this um, like top, top of the first round talent grouping who pitches off of a changeup as his go-to secondary, not a breaking ball. I went back, I think throughout the whole bonus pool era, there's a story on like how his changeup um, is unique among high school pitchers at Baseball America. We did it um, during the NHSI. So that's online if you want to see it and I'll link to it in the show notes, but it's just a, such a unique pitch. And it's not that he doesn't have a breaking ball because he threw three curveballs that had 2,900, 3,000 RPM spin and he got three whiffs. Every every curveball he threw, he got whiffs on the pitch. It looked like a plus pitch. 
he just doesn't need to use it and prefers to use the changeup. And it's awesome. I mean, we've talked about this, Ben. I love changeups. Um, and his is, is just so good. The movement, the, the separation, the, the arm speed with the pitch, his command of the pitch. Like it, it's a pitch that he can throw below the zone and get whiffs, but he can also land it in the zone, use a head of counts. He can use it versus righties. He can use it versus lefties. He can double up on it. I've seen him triple up on the pitch and get whiffs on all three. I think last summer he did that. So it's just such a unique pitch. Um, and then just delivery wise, arm action wise, body wise, athleticism wise. He also barreled up three balls as a hitter. If he wasn't a pitching prospect, I think he would be a legitimately like top three rounds shortstop prospect. Cause I've talked with scouts who think he's one of the better defensive shortstops in their area. And after watching him hit, like he could legitimately hit. Um, so he's just such a fun player to watch. Um, and I think he's got, I mean, I, I'm trying to think if he's the best high school pitching prospect that I've seen. And I think McKenzie Gore is the one guy who I'd be like, okay, maybe McKenzie is better. Um, but I think, again, you can make a case that Lesko, Lesko is better than McKenzie Gore. Uh, I don't know. Those are the two. He, he's kind of the guy that I go back to. And I'm like, okay, this is the one that's he's clearly not better than. I think each of the high school pitching prospects that I've seen until that point, I would take less go ahead. I mean, his worst pitch is that plus curveball, or at least flashing plus. It's. I mean, they were all plus as... to me. He just doesn't use it. <laughs> so, he, yeah. he does seem like you could throw him into a game in low A, maybe even mm-hmm. high A right now, at least the way he pitched in that game, and he would have he would have had success there. Like he just just seems like a potential – frontline type starter who should move really, really quickly. Um, mm. Like I think back to like, like Dylan Bundy, just for mm. that, just coming out of high school, just that combination of power and polish. And mm. he obviously got to the big leagues in a hurry. And it Josh Beckett all, is another one that I've heard yeah, but, as well for like power and, and command. Um, I think scouts are really high in his fastball command. Um, and he showed it for, I think three out of four innings. It was pretty good. There was one inning where he started yanking the ball a little bit. Um, but then he, I mean, the, the greatest part about Lesko is the last inning, he struck out the side one, two, three, um, and he used a different pitch for each strikeout. So I, I just don't really see a weakness in his game. I mean, if this, if this guy stays healthy, I mean, he really should go in the top five picks. I mean, maybe, Maybe he still gets pushed down because of that demographic and we see it happen. But if Jackson Job went top three last year, I see no reason why Dylan Lesko can't go in a similar range. I mean, who let's looking over the draft order, like Orioles, D-backs, Rangers, Pirates, Nationals, like the Nationals are not going to be afraid to take this guy if he's on the board there. No, I don't think so. I mean, maybe the other four in front, maybe they wouldn't want to take a high school pitcher, but like the Orioles have gotten a lot of bats. It would be, it'd be surprised to see him take, see them take him one overall. I mean, they could use some more arms in that system. The D-backs, they've been hitter heavy. Like, it would make sense for a lot of these teams. Not that I think they would, but, yeah, like Nationals 5, letting a guy like this get past them, that might surprise me. But, yeah, he was really good. You know who else was was really impressive to me? Maybe the most impressive hitting prospect to me of this event, Ben, is... Um, who'd, you, who'd you like? 2024 center fielder for Orange Lutheran, Derek Curiel. That was the first time I'd seen him. He, he, I know he's number two on your board, um, but, but I was pretty impressed with what he was able to do with the bat, um, his arm in the outfield, 
um, his instincts on the bases. Uh, I liked everything about him and, and, and watching him in the same lineup with, with Mikey Romero. I've talked about how much I like Mikey Romero's swing. I think it's one of my favorite swings in this draft class. And Mikey didn't have a great event. He, he flied out a number of times um, and, and just didn't have his event, uh, but I've seen him before hit. It would be tough for me to decide whose swing I like better between those two, which I feel like is very high praise for Curiel, who's two years younger. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, man, if you like Mikey Romero's swing, you're going to like Derek Curiel's swing. They're both just very loose, easy, calm, balanced, short, a lot of contact. Um, certainly like a hit over power profile, I think with both those guys, but just smooth, easy, uh, good looking left-handed swings. Uh, I think everything Derek does at the plate or in center field too, just looks mm -hmm. very easy, very comfortable. He glides around and yeah, in center field, it's not like super loud. Like there's no seven tool that he has right now. Um, I hope, you know, I mean, I, you've seen him now more recently than I have, but I, he seems like the kind of guy where once you, like we were talking about before, once you layer on some more strength to him, yeah. you can see and I think the tools. body's pretty projectable. Like it seems like a more projectable frame than Romero. He's a little taller. I think he's going to add a lot of strength. I mean, he was already in batting practice. I watched both of them and he was hitting, just great contact right back up the middle consistently to center field warning track power, but it was like impressive power for a sophomore in high school. And just the quality of the contact in BP, the quality of the contact in game using the opposite field in game. I thought the approach was really advanced too. Like he never seemed unsettled. It didn't, there were very few pitches that seemed to surprise him. His takes were confident. I like the balance, like the bat speed, like you're talking about the fluidity of the swing. Just really liked him. And I mean, he had a couple of really impressive throws. I don't know what you have on his arm, but it looked like an arm that has a chance to be a plus arm moving forward. I mean, he, there's a ground ball up the middle, runner on second. Close game for Orange Lutheran. I think they were playing um, Stillman Douglas in a game they eventually lost. Uh, but a ground ball up the middle, Curiel comes up, fields it, throws an absolute strike to home plate to throw out the runner trying to score from second base. I mean, it was good carry. It was accurate. I think the accuracy maybe was more impressive than just the pure arm strength now, because every time he threw anywhere, the, the defender really didn't have to move to get the ball, um, which you, you don't see. I mean, maybe people take that for granted after watching like major league guys, but that's pretty uncommon for high school players. So that, that jumped out to me as well, but just all around, he looks like he's going to be a stud. Yeah, sometimes those guys, you're, like, you're banking on strength coming, and sometimes you have players where that just never happens. Like their frame is just too narrow, and and they don't really end up putting on a lot of a lot of weight or a lot of strength. Rice Terang seems like that. He was always a thin guy who just stayed thin. I don't know how big he is now, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's still been uh an issue for him obviously it helps that he's great right shoemaker is another one shortstop through still, college but, yeah um but yeah i mean curiel if that you know and it sounds like it already is from from what you saw that strength comes on it, it sounds like you're starting to see him drive the ball with some more impact and it's it's always been a, a high contact type of bat with that swing and zone control that we were talking about so um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a reason he's number two, on our 2024 class list.
Yeah, he was quite good. And I think just in general, getting to see the NHSI again after not having it for two years was a lot of fun. I mean, it, we go to a lot of showcases, we go to a lot of travel ball tournaments and a lot of the travel ball tournaments are really competitive. I think Jupiter is a really good competitive environment. Players want to win, but this one feels different every year because it's your high school team widely regarded as the best high school tournament in the country. Like you're, you're, you're playing for not only your team's reputation, but I think there's a lot of state pride with these teams. Once they get into these tournaments, like when a few teams are eliminated, you see teams in, in states around them or, or, or the same states kind of rooting for that team, which is cool to see. I think a lot of, uh, I think Orange Lutheran had a, a target on their backs this year. Like a lot of teams were, were hoping to see them fall after being the three-time defending champs. They had a strong team as always, but Stoneman Douglas, they, they won the, the championship. You can, you can see more about them online. Um, if you're curious about the competition at the event, but man, what a, what a strong team they had. They were throwing out pitchers each game who were, were very competitive. And I think I saw maybe three walk-off wins. Um, it felt like just the competition on top of the prospect um, pedigree there was, was really impressive and just a, a very fun event. Cause again, oftentimes it showcases it's, it's all America games where the players are all really good, but you don't necessarily have that same, team competition and that that was a lot of fun to watch again yeah it's uh like you said it's the best high school tournament in in the country so it's a really mm -hmm. good opportunity too just to see a whole bunch of mm -hmm. players for 2022 2023 24 all in all in one place Yep. And I've got a bunch of notes on 20 players to know with video on a number of those guys on the site. So if you want more details on guys like Jacob Reimer, who is really impressive offensively, maybe the best looking hit tool of the 22s, that's there. A lot of tools, the outfielders with maybe some approach question marks, some pitchers who impressed a uh, number of underclassmen. Oh, another guy I wanted to throw out to you before we move on from NHSI is uh, Rock Chalowski. 2023 shortstop for uh, Hamilton High School in Arizona. Man, I was really impressed with his actions defensively. He, I don't think he hit super well. Um, I saw a couple good ABs from him, but the defensive, like like his body control, his actions around the bag, uh, just everything he did defensively at shortstop really uh, jumped off the page to me. Yeah, he's a really athletic shortstop. I actually liked him just watching him a lot. Last summer, especially as a hitter, I thought he had some of the best hand-eye coordination that I saw from from a hitter um, in in the class. Rarely swings and misses. It's it's definitely an aggressive approach. He has one of those um, things where it can be a gift and a curse. Where he'll even expand the strike zone, but when he does, he'll still put the ball in play, <laughs> whether it's fastball or or an off-speed pitch. Too, he can square it up make contact uh, a little bit of power too, um, you know, for, for 16 and um, some more strength projection in that, in that uh, frame of his, probably about six, one, six, two. So yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, it's exciting true. that you say that because I was, I was sold on him defensively at shortstop. So if you're, if you're yeah, that, yeah, bat, really, I mean, that's a, it's a pretty good player. <laughs> yeah. Athletic quick actions. Looks like he should stick at the position and then makes a, a lot of contact at the, at the play too. So checked, uh, definitely checked a lot of boxes for me when I was seeing him play last summer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, ben, anything else you want to touch on or do you want to jump into some listener questions? I know we have, we have some good ones, but I don't want to skip anything. If you had something else you wanted to mention. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's listen to the people. Yep. All right. Let's get into it. 
All right. Our first one comes from J5 on Instagram who asks, is Harleen Susana the next Yuri Perez? And Ben, you can correct me if I pronounce that wrong, but I think this is a good one for you. He, you know what? I, I, I saw both of them before they signed and you could definitely see some similarities between them. Perez, obviously, like we talked about Marlins right-hander in double a um, Susana is the, pitcher that the Padres just signed as their top international signing out of the Dominican Republic on January 15th. We have when there are updated top 30 now on, on our site. So um, I, I could definitely see some similarities to them when they were both younger as tall, long limbed, uh, lean in Perez's case, uh, more skinny than, uh, than lean, uh, when he was, you know, about 15 years old before he signed. So, um, but both guys had, you know, good deliveries, pretty, you know, solid fastballs for their age. Uh, Susana probably a bit more at that time compared to, to Yuri Perez, but a lot of, a lot of components that you liked to see and, and project in a pitcher. Uh, at that age before they signed. But uh, I think the differences now, I mean, Perez has just been so much more polished than uh, anybody, including the Marlins could have even expected from him. Uh, So I don't think Susana is going to get to that level um, that, that Perez is at. Uh, He's also not even that much younger than, than Yuri Perez because Susana um, his stuff really popped after that scouting international scouting shutdown ended because of the pandemic after like September, 2020. So by age, he would have been eligible to sign January, 2021. Uh, but just because of how much better his stuff got after that uh, and how much his value increased, uh, and how early players are committing to clubs now and teams are tying up all their bonus pool money and other players Uh, he just waited until january 15th to sign this year with the padres and and get more money but uh suzana is also bulked up to about six six maybe 240 in that window so he's uh almost more of like a lance lynn closer to that kind of body than that still long lean frame that uh that yuri perez has so um, wouldn't expect anybody to be as, as polished as, as Yuri. And I think their bodies have gone in, in different directions. Uh, but I mean, I, I love Susana. Uh, I think he's the best pitching prospect who, who signed, uh, this year, power stuff, uh, been up to, I think at least 98 flashing a, a sharp breaking ball. So, uh, really, really like him too. Nice. Um, our next question comes from the big John Z on Instagram who asks, do you have a chase de louder pro comparison? Um, I have a couple that have been thrown out to me. Um, people have told me that his, his tool set is similar to Garrett Mitchell and Cameron Misner. And I think Cameron Misner is probably the better one just because Garrett Mitchell's tool set is a little bit different. I think the bodies, um, are different, but, but Misner, when looking back at his report, I do think there are a lot of similarities here. Um, one of the toolsiest players in the class at the time in 2019 for a college player. I remember back then that the teams were just 
talking about how it's rare for college players to have these sort of electric tools just because those players typically get drafted out of high school. I think teams think of DeLauder in a similar way. Um, bigger bodied, 6'4", 6'5", 215-ish pound players. Um, DeLauder might even be a little bit heavier than that, but that was Misner's height and weight at the time. Um, left-handed hitter, left-handed thrower, good athlete in center field, playing center field now, um, and moves better than you think both these players, but probably would move to a corner in the future. I don't really know where Misner is playing right now. Actually, uh, I probably could have checked. I think, I mean, both of them actually have dealt with foot injuries too, which adds to the comparison. The louder, obviously just, just had a, a broken foot. That's going to keep him out. Misner dealt with a left foot injury, um, that limited him when he was in college. I think the louders production and track record as a hitter is better which maybe is, is where this one could fall apart if you're really getting detailed with it. Um, at the same time, the latter obviously plays um, at a smaller program, but, but just with the latter having the Cape track record and his ridiculous numbers, that might be where these two fall apart. But in, just in terms of size, in terms of tool set, um, body types, I think that's a, a fairly good one. Um, maybe it's not exciting to you given what Cameron Miser has done so far, but those are two that I've gotten from scouts. So it's not like I'm just pulling that one out. Um, so that's how I'd say for, for the louder. Uh, next question comes from Christopher on Instagram who asks, who is the best amateur player you both have seen who didn't make it for whatever reason? Uh, ben, I'll let you go first on this one, but I've got, I've got one in mind. Yeah. My, my answer is kind of be kind of depressing, but um the Red Sox signed a catcher out of Venezuela in 2017, uh, Daniel Flores, who at the time it was like neck and neck, who was the top player in that class between Wander Franco and Daniel Flores. Um, and that class also had, uh, you know, George Valera was in that class. Julio Rodriguez was there. It was it was a really good class. But um, uh, Flores, you guys probably remember, died from uh, cancer or complications from cancer. Um, I think in in November, not long after he signed. But um, man, he was he was super super talented on. Uh, on both sides, just this really strong physical catcher. Um, you know, he was throwing pop times under one nine, uh, really quick exchange, good footwork, uh, good release, outstanding arm. Uh, and then at, at the plate, uh, just a, a catcher with big power. Um, you could, see it translating in in games too so um he was uh you know he was super super talented player so it was pretty pretty devastating uh to hear when he when he died um uh we have uh, i think we have video like if you just go on youtube and just type in daniel flores you can see the video that i think that we have from him uh at the at the mlb showcase uh, that year from when he was, uh, when he was 16. So you can just see how, see how talented he was. Um, and then I never saw, I never saw Ryan Westmoreland as an amateur player. Um, cause I, 
he signed his draft in maybe 2009. So I wasn't covering the draft at, at that time, but when he got into pro ball, uh, 2000, 2008, but yeah, two, 2008. Yeah. I mean, it was like, uh, he, he went out to Lowell in, in the New York Penn league and just looked like, I mean, five average to double plus tools, uh, across the board center fielder, uh, good swing, good feel for hitting a lot of contact. Yeah, we uh, ranked great, him the number one prospect in that league. I don't know if that was you who did that ranking or not, but I, th- I think he was the number one prospect in the Red Sox organization at yep. the time. In, in 2009, he was eight. And then 2010, he was the number one prospect in the system. Yeah. So he, I mean, and then defensively, I mean, center field, center fielder who could run. Uh, I think he was a, a plus plus runner at the time. So just really exciting combination of tools and and skills and premium position and, and all these boxes that you're uh, you know looking to check off um he he had uh but then he had um the i, I don't know like what the exact term is but you know the 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 issue that he had with his uh, his brain. We and, and we wrote in, in a report that it was a doctors detected a cavernous malfunction, which is an abnormal cluster of blood vessels in his brain that he went under. He underwent surgery to repair. Yeah, and it just you know it obviously just derailed his uh, you know his playing career since then. So um, um, yeah, I mean those would be. Those would be my two answers um, for guys. You, you chose some, yeah, you were right. The years are de- depressing. Answers, <laughs> yeah. Man, that, that sucks to hear. I guess the other, I mean, the, the other ones would be, I mean, from, you know, two in, in the Astros organization, one obvious one would probably be Brady Aiken, mm-hmm. um, who, I mean, talk about checking boxes that you look for in, in a player. I mean, for, at least for a high school pitcher, young for his class, like, Lefty, smooth delivery, good arm action, repeatable, feel for pitching, good fastball, good secondary stuff, starter profile, um, you know, more more physical projection remaining. Uh, obviously, the issue is the the elbow and and staying healthy. Um, so he's um, he would be another example. And then uh, the, the other guy I would say would be Mark Appel. So whether whether you thought he should have been, you know, the, I think it was the eighth overall pick in the draft uh, that year with, with the pirates or whether he should have gone one, one overall to, to the Astros the next year. I, I, I'm just very surprised that he never ended up getting to the big leagues. I mean, just to have a college pitcher who was a top 10 overall pick, two years in a row, even if he ends up being a bust, you would have expected him to at least get to the big leagues. Now he's, I think, trying to come back now. So maybe that, you know, still ends up happening, but um, I, I would not have thought that this college pitcher, number one overall pick would never yeah. end up getting to the big leagues. Yeah, he um, he's actually pitched in two games in AAA with Lehigh Valley with the Phillies. And 
Over four innings, he's got a 2.25 ERA, four strikeouts, no walks. So good start for him as a 30-year-old. So, I mean, that would be a really cool story. Even if he, like, didn't establish himself as a big leaguer, if he just, like, made the big leagues, I imagine that would just get a lot off of his – like, that, that would probably relieve a lot of, like, burdens he's been carrying for years and years. Because, I mean, people look at him as maybe one of the biggest busts in MLB draft history. Right. And I can't imagine having to carry that around with you. He's talked about it on Twitter before. So it seems like he handles it all pretty well, but that would be really cool to see. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, we've seen stranger comeback stories mm-hmm. <laughs> than, than that um, mm-hmm. with guys coming back who are high profile guys. I mean, Tyler Matzik didn't, I mean, yep. I guess he got to the big leagues earlier in his career but like he was basically <laughs> i think he got to the big leagues what when he was 23 24 mm-hmm. was there a little bit and he was going to indie ball for i think a so couple years and and didn't really get back there for about five years until he was 29 years old and now he's you know playing a pretty key role for the braves in their in their bullpen so josh hamilton I, always feels like the obvious one to me oh yeah that's yeah he he would be uh yeah definitely a a different uh example of that Mm -hmm. um for me best amateur player who didn't make it i think i mean ben has a longer tale of this so his are probably more interesting but for me it's definitely austin beck um we ranked him as the number nine prospect in the 2017 draft and and this was the the spring that I kind of came on with BA and was doing the draft with Hudson kind of learning the ropes um, with, with Hudson Belinsky, who's a scout with the diamondbacks. Now he was, he was doing our draft coverage at the time. And I remember going to see an Austin Beck game in North Carolina very shortly after I started. And he just looked like a monster. I think he hit multiple home runs, drove another ball deep to right center to the opposite field. The bat speed was electric. His tools just jumped out at you. He was one of those players that that you could just see the tool set immediately. Uh, Really strong throwing arm. Looked like he had a chance to be a good defender in center field. Very athletic, but just elite bat speed. Really impressive raw power. I think even to this day, he's probably top three for all of the high school hitters I've seen in terms of just pure bat speed. I think those guys would be Austin Beck. Austin Hendrick and then uh, Termar Johnson. Those three feel like are a different class for me. Just just have the guys that I've seen in person. Um, plus runner, plus arm, just a ton of really loud tools. Um, but he was a guy who also didn't uh, play during the summer or the fall entering his draft season. Um, he had a torn ACL in his left knee. Uh, so that held him out. And there are always questions about like, what was his approach like? Like at times he showed an aggressive approach, but I mean, he performed well against lesser competition in North Carolina. So, I mean, in pro ball, he just never hit. He never figured out tons of strikeouts because it never really get to those tools. Um, I mean, he's still struggling this year. I think he's a 23-year-old in high A now. Um, he's never hit above. I think he had one year where he hit like 290-ish um, in the Midwest League. And, and outside of that, it's been it's been pretty disappointing results, tons of strikeouts. Just, it just seems like he never had the approach. But just in terms of tools and upside, I think he's the best player that I've seen that hasn't panned out. And for everyone else, either they weren't as electric when I saw them or, or it's too early to say they haven't panned out. But I think for Beck, 
I mean, he's still 23. I guess anything can happen, but we didn't rank him on a top 30 entering the year this year. And I think that's the first year since he's been drafted where he kind of fell off the athletics top list for us. So he would be mine. I think that for me, it just hammers home how important that summer track record of hitting is. I know as an underclassman, he, he had developed a pretty good reputation, but man, it's really important to see those guys perform during the summer. Yeah, I'm I'm very bad driven over the other mm-hmm. raw tools, but uh, but yeah, he is. Uh, I prefer both. As expected with him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like five tool players. Actually, that's my type. Yeah. All right. Um, another one. Small cap value on tour asks any update on Noah Song. Um, I actually reached out to see if there was any update on Noah Song, and I I don't believe there is one. He he's not pitching yet with the team, so. Uh, I wish I had more information for you there, but uh, I guess just keep waiting on that one. Um, ben, you haven't heard anything, have you? No, just yep. waiting, hoping. Yep. That, that was the risk with the pick, but it's a bummer. Um, yeah. Small cap value had another question. Um, he said, wondering what does it mean to reclassify for the draft? How are they eligible to classify to a different draft year? Is it an age thing? Um, so yeah, picturing like m- Michael Scott declaring bankruptcy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So basically this, I mean, this happens with high school players pretty regularly. Um, it, it can be an age thing in the sense that players are aware of like how old they are for the class that they're in. And there have been players who would be old for their, their class moving up a year to be more age appropriate. Um, you also see it where it's players who are just really advanced um, who are just ready um, to be drafted, feel like they can either they're ready to go to college or they're ready to um, get drafted and go to pro ball. I think Blaze Jordan is a good example of this. He was he would have been age appropriate, I believe, for his class, um, reclassified and was one of the youngest players in the class. But typically, you just have to make sure you are ready to graduate high school and it's getting your your academics in line and making sure that you're eligible, eligible in that regard. You can be, I think, however old you you, you, you graduate high school with for, for the draft for high school players, as long as you have the academic stuff taken care of and you've submitted paperwork to MLB um, kind of signifying that you're reclassified and you do that within their timeline. I believe the paperwork has to be into them um, like before January 15th or somewhere around then. Um, right. But there are players who do that regularly every year. Um, other guys include Trajan Fletcher, um, Nick Bitsko, I believe he was, um, mm. Brady Neal this year, Cam Collier, Tri- yep. Triantos, did Triantos. Collier, a little bit different because he went to Juco, but same kind of thing there. He, he, if he played high school ball, he would have reclassified blaze Jordan. Yeah. Um, so, so it's pretty well, common. Um, yeah. Anything to add, Ben? Yeah. Walter Ford doing it this year, George Wolkow for, for next year. But yeah, like you said, you have to submit the paperwork with ml like max clark couldn't tomorrow be like i want to go in the 2022 draft yeah <laughs> you have to do it before the mm-hmm. the 15th of, of january yep and then for just for eligibility purposes for college players it's either three years in college or if you are 21 within 45 days of the draft that that can make you a draft eligible sophomore or i guess in rare cases draft eligible freshman um that the freshman thing doesn't happen very often at all um ted on twitter says roy bear salinas seems seemed to close out the year well last year and then started off really well this year does he have potential as a starter or more of a long-term reliever how does his stuff play 
Salinas is a guy who made the Braves top 30 in our updated top 30s that went recently. Um, you can see all of those on baseballamerica.com. Um, I know Jeff Ponce is a really big fan of his stuff. And I think right now he's actually leading um, all minor leaguers in strikeouts. Um, so you're definitely onto something with him. I think Jeff actually had Roy Bear on his breakout team for this year. Um, so he's all over him. The stuff sounds really electric. It's a fastball that's around 94, gets up to 98, um, has really good ride and carry, which I feel like is a trait that any player who Jeff likes has, has those traits as a pitcher. Um, good breaking ball, slider and changeup as well. Um, I think he has the makings of a, of like a back of the rotation starter. Um, but he also has the stuff that would play in a reliever role. So I think it'll just, we need a little bit more time to see what the strikes are going to be in the past. The strikes have not been great early this year. It's been solid in the strikes department. So if that can improve, I think he's got a chance to start, but it, it sounds like pretty good stuff to, to fall back as a reliever. I like the 23 K per nine. It's pretty good, right? I think that that will play if you can maintain that level. Yeah, he has 24 strikeouts and just two walks in 9.1 innings so far in um, Augusta or with Augusta. That is quite good. Yeah, it's been uh, kind of tough sledding for the Braves internationally. <laughs> recent just years. the Braves some, and pitchers, uh, man. Well, uh, yeah, just some some penalties they've been operating under so. Nice to see them get a guy like uh, Salinas sneaking through the uh, the system yeah, that way. Definitely. Um, Rob on Twitter asks, any news on Kumar Rocker? Is he an indie ball somewhere working out on his own? Um, still nothing new on Kumar, nothing official that I've heard. Uh, I keep asking people if they know what he's doing. Um, and no one that, that I've talked to at least knows officially what he's going to be doing. Everyone assumes that he's going to throw in some capacity for the draft. So I guess just keep watching out for Kamar. When it happens, you'll know about it. Um, but but I don't know anything yet. So keep waiting on that one. Um, Jack on Twitter asks, instead of ranking farm systems by their players, have you ever considered ranking them on their player development skills and weaknesses, i.e. best hitting, pitching, defense, base running development? Ben, I'll throw this one at you. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, first of all, we would never not rank them by players, but I guess this is like a, a supplemental question. Like, would you also do this? I mean, I, I think we certainly see some organizations that excel in certain areas of player development. I, obviously, I think the the Guardians with pitching, Brewers with pitching, uh, you know, Rays, I would, you know, put up there too. One of the better organizations with developing pitching, um, Dodgers with everything. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, I think you certainly have like your standout organizations uh and then some clubs where you're like uh these guys can't how come these guys never develop uh pitching uh um, i know royals fans seem frustrated at least with me on twitter with, with their pitching development i've seen that pop up lately are there any other teams that that jump out to you for, for one specific reason or another i would have to look uh, more into that one but that that's one that i've seen a lot lately well well the tough thing too with that is that I mean, we can, it's, it's easier to, not that projecting prospects is necessarily easy, but it's easier to project the player himself uh, rather than evaluate rank how an organization is right now at development, especially for all 30 orgs or at least in a specific category of development, because a lot of the 
personnel behind the scenes that are responsible for that development are changing, especially if you're if if it seems like you're doing a good job at it, you're going to have other teams uh, knocking on your door and interviewing uh, or poaching your your personnel. So, um, you know, we certainly see that with the, the Guardians and, and the Dodgers and, and their, um, you know, whether it's their their coaches in the minor leagues or people in their front office who are doing the analytical work with the with data to, um, you know, try to help pitchers or, or hitters improve through that lens too. Um, that I think that would make it trickier be just because of all of the different parts moving around. But we, I mean, we certainly see some organizations that seem to stick out from, <laughs> from the rest in, in different areas of, of development. Yeah. Um, if, if we did that, I feel it's like also I was going to say, it's also probably a little bit easier to just look back at it rather than project it going forward. Mm-hmm. I feel like this would be tricky with the middle teams. Like, how do you separate number 11 from number 19? I feel like that would be really, really tough. Like like you said, a lot of the teams have done it so well, they kind of push themselves to the top and you you get a good sense for who some of the, the top few teams are. Um, and maybe maybe that's the case for the bottom as well. But like separating a number nine from a number 20 I mean, there's probably not much difference at all between those teams i would imagine but it's interesting um for me i think like like you said ben there's so many moving parts like is this do you credit how much of the credit goes to the player how much of the credit goes to player development how much of the credit goes to scouting like it's all intertwined Mm -hmm. and like being able to quantify and separate each of those with precision feels like an impossible task but there might be a way to, to do that more methodically. Maybe it's as simple as like, now I'm curious now if you pulled all the teams uh, in baseball to kind of have them rank their peers, um, even if it wasn't a complete ranking, but who, who are like your top 10 or top five organizations at developing certain things. I wonder if there would be much of a consensus or if it would be kind of all over the place. Mm. But interesting question. Um, I think that's all we had for today. We have a few that we're saving for next podcast but we're probably going to have to jump out of it at this point ben do you have any last comments anything you want to plug anything you want to mention for the listeners before we get out of here Uh, we got our updated top 30s on our website right now for subscribers so um especially the probably the biggest thing in there is the addition of international prospects uh who signed since january 15th so those guys have been um you know, now signed and a lot of them have been in either, you know, some have already been in Florida or Arizona right now for uh, extended spring training or spring training before that. Um, a lot of them are in camp uh, in many camps in the Dominican Republic at the academies down there. Some of them are, are playing in games. So just because the, the speed at which international players commit to clubs and then stop working out in you know competitive environments for for the other clubs at a at a really young age it's it's really um it's it would be premature to rank the players before they sign uh, and and it's just more challenging to get a you know do we, we just want to make sure we're giving people it'd be good clickbait though yeah yeah i'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> it, would, it would uh do well but it's 
you know, just making sure we're giving people accurate and up-to-date information on, on these players. Now that, I mean, the teams knew them before they signed, but they, I think they really got a better feel for them now once they have them in camp and, um, you know, have them through their different programs um, and, and more people in the organization are able to, uh, to see them and, and see them with a lot more um, frequency as well. So you can probably see our, our rankings for some of those players uh, are going to look different than, you know, just who signed for the most money or, or who some of the more famous names are in, in other places. We have guys in the, in our top thirties now in an organization who signed for, you know, lower six figure bonuses who you'll probably start seeing pop up on uh on other places uh pretty soon so <laughs> um but yeah we we updated that we we moved some guys around based on uh injuries or or new reports new information uh from from spring or or since the since the off season when we last ranked these players so uh definitely want to make it a goal to keep our rankings as up to date as possible so if you're a, a ba subscriber you'll have the most up-to-date rankings uh for a, a top 30 within all 30 farm systems that you're going to find compared to uh anywhere else so definitely recommend going to uh to check out our, our new top 30s on the site yeah i'll just echo that and also say that um josh and jeff and kyle have been doing some really good minor league coverage to start the year so if you are um looking to keep up with all these prospects throughout the year just outside of rankings um definitely keep up with their work and just keep checking the site because it, it feels like there's a ton of content on the website. It makes sense. Uh, everything is rolling now. So um, follow those guys. If you, if you are not, and um, thank you guys for listening. Um, that's, that's what I'll close it out with. Um, we appreciate it. We appreciate anyone who's ready to read the podcast. If you have not yet and you feel so inclined, that would be helpful for us. Um, but again, we appreciate it guys. Thank you. It's been fun and we will see you next time. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.